I don't know about you, but I needed to be um, in a place today where I got lost in worship, where I, I interacted with the Holy Spirit in a really intimate way. Uh, I came into service today, and, and actually Coy and I were talking and uh, just kind of chatting it up, and he, he was excited for church, and I was too. And, and man, I, I just needed exactly what Pastor Bo was saying. I needed to get a drink today. And they, they set a really great table for us to interact with the Holy Spirit. And as, as Pastor uh, uh, Bo was talking to us about really interacting and inviting us in that place. Listen, worship is not a spectator participation type thing. It's not something that you watch. It's not a show. And we really try to endeavor to, to help us as a, as, a, as a community of faith to press into a place where we move beyond just spectating and actually participate with what God's doing. It's a lot more like a gym than it is going to the theater. Is Whenever I came into to worship today, there was a, a mentality, that a, a, a switch that I was flipping inside of me. It's like, man, I need to get into God's presence. And it's not Bo's responsibility. It's not Mark or Lorena's responsibility to do that for me. It's mine. And so I just want to just uh, encourage you guys to do exactly what Pastor Bo was encouraging you to do today, and that's step in. There's something that we have to do. And, and here's the beautiful thing. There's a powerful thing that happens whenever all of us are together, but I can do that in my living room Monday morning. And there's something that happens in my life. There's something that's missing whenever I neglect that. And as we are in a, a year in 2020, whenever the, the body of Christ has not been able to assemble like it normally does, this is needed now more than ever. And so don't miss an opportunity to press into God's presence as the house of, house of faith. Amen. All right, so if, you, if you're in Matthew chapter 15, I'm going to continue a series that I started last week. Um, and this, the title of this series is Living a Life That's Impressive to God. That's kind of a long title, but that's really the gist of what I'm trying to go after the next several weeks in looking in God's Word and finding different examples that God has given us in the Scriptures of men and women who were impressive in their devotion to Him. And I know that the, as, even as I say living a life that's impressive to God, there's something inside of our flesh that says, you can't do that. You can't impress God. It's arrogant for you to think that you can get to a place in your faith. And so there's, there's something inside of us, and I, I don't think that this part of this is godly, to where we hold back and we just settle for mediocrity. We settle for a place of mediocrity that says, you know, I can't ever be impressive. But have you ever you know, thought about your past and mistakes that you've made and thought that you're a lost cause and that you've messed up in too many times and so God can't use you? Here's the thing. God uses men and women who are ordinary. And as we connect with him in a devoted way, listen, I'm not a perfect person, but I know that as I, as I build my life on the foundation of Jesus Christ, then there is a, a measure of holiness that I can begin to carve out in my life and become an example to others. As you begin to mature in your faith and you begin to ground yourself in God's word, as you become a man of God, a woman of God and mature in your faith, it is natural for God to try to lift you into a place and make an example of you. God does it all throughout Scripture. You look at Job, if you've read Job, and you, you see in Job this example that God said to Satan. He said, have you considered my servant Job? There's this exemplary faith that he had, so much so that God began to exemplify Job's patience and his perseverance and his faith, even to the kingdom of darkness. If you look at David's life, his life was exemplary in his devotion to God. Last week, we talked about the Roman centurion 
And the story of, uh, you know, this, this officer in the Roman guard who comes to Jesus and he asks him to come and heal his servant. And he, he basically says, Jesus, I'm a man under authority. I understand authority. And he saw something. He believed something about Jesus that impressed God. He believed that Jesus was a king of an invisible kingdom. And he says, I'm a man under authority. I tell people, I give people orders all the time. All you have to do is say the word and something supernatural will happen. All you have to do is say the word and something supernatural will happen. And Jesus was stunned. It said he marveled at the centurion's faith. There was this wow inside of Jesus. It was like, man, that's impressive. And so as we're going through this series, what I'm trying to do is, is trying to draw out some characteristics of people in the Word of God who, who, who really kind of took God's notice. Whenever God saw what their life was built on, he was like, wow, that's something of an example to others in the world. And so today what I want to do in Matthew chapter 15 is look at the Syrophoenician woman's faith. She's a Canaanite woman. Some, some of your translations may say a Syrophoenician woman. Look at verse 21. It says, and Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. That's interesting. He ignored her. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost, house, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him and said, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman. Great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. This is an interesting story to me. As you, as you kind of watch Jesus' interaction with this woman and then what, this woman's interaction with Jesus, there's a, it just kind of causes me to ask a bunch of questions. And as I know that I've told you this before, but this is just how my devotion works with the Lord, is whenever I'm reading God's Word, I'm not as, I'm, I don't know all the answers, but I know some of the answers. And one of the things that I would tell you will serve you well in maturing in your faith is to ask the questions that you need to ask of God. And so whenever I'm reading this passage, I sit here and I watch Jesus who is so compassionate and so eager to, to, to minister to people in, in so much of the, the Gospels. If you read um, the, the previous chapters of the Gospel of Matthew, you see Jesus going out of his way to meet people in their point of need. And then he runs into this woman and he says nothing to her. He ignores her. What's up with that? And I don't want you to misunderstand the interaction here because if you're, if you're not careful, you can just kind of take this as Jesus is just kind of being a snob at this moment. He prefers others over this woman. And that's not what's happening here at all. And so here's the thing that I want you to see as you watch, kind of look through this is, 
Jesus, uh, just kind of give you some of the context of what's happening. Jesus is uh, basically at the height of his, his ministry, and he is going out in his, his typical circuit of preaching the kingdom. This is basically how he would do it. He would go into towns, and he would preach the gospel of the kingdom, that the kingdom was near, and then he would heal a bunch of people. Miracles would happen, and people would believe that he was the Messiah. And so his typical circuit was right around the Sea of Galilee. He would just work right around the Sea of Galilee, but in different occasions of his ministry, and this is one of those, he would branch out, and he's up in the northern regions of Israel by the border, by the town of Tyre and Sidon, in between those two places. This is, this is a, a place called Phoenicia, which is, that's why this is the Syrophoenician woman. And this was under Roman rule, just like Israel was, but Previous to Roman rule, there was a border here that separated the Canaanites from the Israelites. And that border that was there, it really did kind of distinguish the difference between these two people groups and how they worshiped God and which God they served. And so here's this Canaanite woman, and she's coming to Jesus. And what I want you to see here is this interaction doesn't reveal a kingdom preference. It reveals a kingdom sequence. See, there's this reality in the Word of God, and, and, and basically what was happening was the Israelites were, if you know this, just say amen, but the Israelites were the children of God, amen? They were God's chosen people, and because they were God's chosen people, they were given certain privileges. Now, let me just tell you some of the things that they were, the, the privileges that they were given. God revealed himself to the Jews. He came to Moses in the burning bush, if you remember the story, and he asked God specifically, who is it that I should tell them sent me? And he says, and he reveals for the very first time his name. And he gives Moses his name, and, and with that, there's this relationship from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses, and on through, that God begins to give these privileges, these revelations to the nation of Israel. He gives them covenants. He gives them his commandments. He reveals his law. To the Jews. And with that, there was this great responsibility. But for this moment right now, I want to talk to you. There was, there was a privilege. And that privilege was that they got to be the first ones. They got to receive the first fruits of the Messiah's ministry. Now, Paul, the apostle, later on in the book of Romans, he actually alluded to this kingdom reality. There was this kingdom sequence that happened. And it goes a little bit something like this. It's summarized in to everything that God does. He does to the Jew first, but also to the non-Jew. But it comes to the Jew first. Because they were the ones who were, who were marked as stewards of God's commandments and God's covenants. This is what Paul says in Romans chapter 1. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers. And he's speaking to the church in Rome, which are full of Gentiles, non-Jews. He says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far I have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, everyone who believes. To the Jew first, but also to the Greek or the non-Jew. And so there's this principle that Paul's talking about in the kingdom that, that it's not about preference. So do not misunderstand what Jesus is doing with this Canaanite woman. 
It's not about him preferring the Jews over the Gentiles. Because what Paul is saying is, I have longed to come and minister the gospel of Jesus to you Gentiles in Rome. So that I I would have some kind of inheritance from you. And so that you could reap the good news, the benefit of the good news of Jesus. See, it's not about preference because the heart of God is that whoever believes shall be saved. Right? Here's what's happening. It's all about sequence. It goes to the Jew first and then the Gentile. Paul goes on to say this. He goes on to kind of reveal that not only have the Jews been given this great privilege of being, reaping the first fruits of Jesus' ministry, the messianic ministry, but there's also a great responsibility. With great power comes great responsibility. Amen? This is what Voltaire says, or Spider-Man. I'm not sure which one that is. But here's what Luke says. This is a principle in the kingdom, okay? This is, this is what we all know in, in pop culture and in, the, in, in history with this quote. But look at Luke chapter 12, verse 48. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. See, if the Jew is the first to receive the, the ministry of Jesus... And if they're the first to receive blessings from God's hand, they're also the first to receive God's judgment. See, before you get feeling like you got left out, understand this. There's great privilege because they were stewards of something that was really profound, but there's also great responsibility that comes with that. And if they're going to be the first ones to receive the blessing of God, they're also going to be the first to receive the judgment of God. Paul goes on to say this in Romans chapter 2. He said, There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. You will reap what you sow. The Jew first, and then also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. The Jew first, and also the Greek. Listen to verse 11. For God shows no partiality. Do not misunderstand what Jesus is doing with this Canaanite woman. He is not telling her that I don't have time for you because you're nothing. You're not important. He's not showing partiality. He's just highlighting a sequence. And that's why he says it's not right for me to take the bread that was intended for the children right now and give it to the dogs, which is a weird metaphor, but it works. (laughs) So he's saying basically that this has to happen to the Jew first. And Paul is the one who broke open the gospel to the Gentiles later. Amen? So that's what's happening, and that's the context. But here's the next question that I have. What was it about this woman's life and about her faith that impressed Jesus? What was it? Brother Mark, what was it that impressed Jesus about this woman's life? The name of my message today is Relentless Faith. And whenever Mark was sharing that word this morning, I was like, man, we're... We're doing something today. (laughs) Holy Spirit's going to do something in our hearts today. Because listen, here's what impressed Jesus about this woman's face. She was so relentlessly convinced of God's goodness that she tapped into something that wasn't available to her yet. See, whenever we were singing in worship today, we were talking about how God relentlessly loves us, that he pursues us like he leaves the 99 to go after the, the one, like Luke chapter 15 Just a few verses earlier, just a few verses later in Luke chapter 15, it says, but what impressed Jesus about this woman's faith was she was relentless. 
She was relentless to the point that she wouldn't take no for an answer. And listen, she didn't get to a place where she was being forceful with Jesus. That's not what this relentlessness looks like. See, don't, feel, don't get this idea that what I'm talking to you about is that you should feel entitled that God owes you something because he doesn't. This relentlessness was, was rooted in her understanding that God is good and he would be good to her too. That relentlessness, to not let that door be shut, it changed everything for her in that moment, and it impressed Jesus. This relentless face was was undeterred. It was not, not put off. In this metaphor of the bread, she basically takes this metaphor of what Jesus was talking about, and if you were in her shoes, I think that you would probably focus on, you just got called a dog. But she focused on the bread. She turned to Jesus and she said, Yes, but even the dogs get crumbs that fall from the master's table. Listen, she understood something about the master. She was relentlessly convinced that of the goodness of the master that she tapped into something that wasn't available to her yet. This was something that was going to be available to Gentiles later, and it was reserved for the Jews in this moment. But in, and so Jesus was just not taking time out of his day to go break that barrier yet. But he saw the relentlessness of her faith, and it opened a door. Jesus heard this and was moved. There was that, wow, that happened in Jesus' heart. I don't know what it takes to make God look and, and take a double take at your life, but this is one of those things. I don't know that I have it all figured out yet, but the, the scripture gives us some, some, some moments and some highlights of this is what it looks like to cause God to look down and be pleased with what you're doing. There's one of these days that you're going to get to stand before God and you will be judged for what you've done. And if your faith is in Jesus Christ, then all of your sins will be washed away. You will, be not, you will not be held account for those sins because you will be forgiven of them. But you will also have the opportunity to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what this is all about, is how do I live my life? I know that I'm saved, okay? I have this assurance of my salvation because of the blood of Jesus. It's way more powerful than my behavior. But now that I am saved, how do I live my life in such a way that I am standing before God? And he goes, you got it today, buddy. That's it. We're building something now. Your character is being formed and shaped into something that can not only change the environment around you, but that can spur others on to live a life that's worthy of the calling that they've been called to. So this woman's relentless faith opened a door that was not open to her yet. And I'm just telling you, there's, there's this thing that can happen in God where that, be, that door that's closed for the moment it begins to crack and it begins to open and you get early access. You know, there were others in scripture who got early access. That actually, if you look at Hebrews chapter 11, it's a whole chapter dedicated on that kind of faith. A faith that saw something far off that wasn't for now and they began to believe. And, and so it goes through all these names and it talks about Abraham and how Abraham, he received this promise from God and he believed and listen to this, it was credited to him. As righteousness. There was a deposit that was made from God. It was credited to him as righteousness because he believed in the promise of God. David, King David, he wrote this in Psalm chapter 27. 
He said, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the, what does it say? Not the dead. See, what, what, what King David had an understanding of and what he had a revelation of was that he could taste God's goodness now, not later. So many times whenever we're believing for something and we're praying our prayers, it's like, man, whenever we get to heaven, it's going to be oh so good, and it will be. But I want to see God's goodness now in my life. I want to taste the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, not in the hereafter only. There's something that was available to, that, that David was able to tap into and Abraham was able to tap into that wasn't available yet because the gospel hadn't even come. Hebrews 11 goes on and says, And what shall I say? He's given all these examples. I, uh, time, would fail for, time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, but, and put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead back by resurrection. What he's going through is there's all of these doors that were opened for these men and women of faith because they had a relentless faith. They believed so firmly in the goodness of God that they tapped into something that wasn't available to them yet. Who prays for a dead person to be raised from the dead? That's crazy, right? It's all throughout here. Who goes to war with an army that outnumbers you 10 to 1? Your Bible is chock full of examples. There is this faith that says, I'm, I'm not going to listen to. I don't know what I did, <laughs> but I'll try not to do that again. Okay, so I, I'll, I'll, I'll move on. So here's the thing about opening doors. And this is really what I kind of want to turn your attention to next. Where in your life do you need to have relentless faith today? And if you look at your life, I think that one of the things that, that I would ask of my life is that I want to see more doors open in my life than I am right now. How many would say I agree with that? That's, that's kind of where I'm at. I would like to see more doors that are opened by God in my, in my life right now. So this is what I know from God's word about doors in the kingdom. Number one, I'll give you three things real quick. Number one, Jesus holds the keys. Nobody else does. Jesus, in his sovereignty and in his providence, holds the keys to the doors that you want to see opened or shut. This is what Revelation chapter 3 says. There are, these are the words of him who is the holy one and the, true, and the holy and true, who holds the keys of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. Listen, if you want to see doors opened, you really do have to adopt this submission to God's authority in your life because he's the only one at the end of the day who can open doors and shut them for you. If you're standing at, the, at a door that's closed in your face, an opportunity that you would like to see open, this is what Jesus implores all of us to do. Ask and it will be given. Don't demand, ask. Ask and it will be given. Knock, and the door will be open to you. Seek, and you will find. There's this posture that you and I have to adopt. If you want to see more doors open to you from God's hand, that we are humbly 
and gratefully submitted to God's sovereignty in our lives. Whenever I pray, Jesus taught us to pray this way, didn't he? Pray this, let your kingdom come and let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And one of the things that that prayer does is it galvanizes my attitude to submit to God whatever you want to see happen in me and through me. Whatever you want to see happen in my day, let it be. But I, this is what I love about God's character. He always gives room to say, but what would you like to see? What's your desire? If you go back and read that story we just read about this Canaanite woman, he said, let it be done for you as you have, been, as you have desired. And God leaves this room for us to bring our requests and make them known to him. They are requests at the end of the day. We're submitting to his sovereignty, but he still is so good and he's so kind. And that's what this Canaanite woman understood. The master is good and he's going to be good to me. So the first thing is Jesus holds the keys. Number two, persistence is required. You're going to have to get some grit. Waiting is hard. Opposition stinks. But this is what Galatians chapter 6 promises, and let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. You can't quit. And what I, what I was telling to you earlier, this is not, a, this is not permission. This is not a, a, you know, a, a commercial for you to get really forceful and, and entitled with God. We have to stay humble and submitted to God. But nonetheless, we have to, whenever we see something shut that we know is the goodness of God, we come back and we ask over and over and over again and never stop. Here's the last. The secret ingredient is not stubbornness. The secret ingredient is a life that's focused on God's goodness. You know, whenever you get disappointed, one of the things that begins to happen is this lie begins to settle in to your mind. It's like, well, God doesn't want to do that for you. How easy would it have been for this woman who's asking Jesus to heal her daughter to come to that conclusion? I mean, Jesus literally said to her, I can't give you this bread right now. It's reserved for the Jews. How easy would it have been for her as she's looking at the son of David, as she knows that he is, she called him the son of David. She knows he's the Messiah. She's had the revelation and she believes. How easy would it have been for her to say, well, he said not now. Maybe later. I guess what I need to do is just be content and go home. Listen, the thing she didn't do was bow up to Jesus. Okay, She didn't do that, praise God. But what she did do is say, yes, Lord. However, can I make a request? Because even the dogs get little crumbs every now and then from the master's hand. See, she understood something about the master. She saw something and believed wholeheartedly in the goodness of God that he would not turn her away. And that was the secret sauce. That she believed that God is good. Whenever you get disappointed and you have hardship, the first lie that tries to enter your mind is, God doesn't like you. He's not going to be good to you. He's not going to fulfill his promise to you. And in that moment, that's whenever your relentless face has to kick in where you refuse to believe that God is bad towards you, that you refuse to believe that God is stingy towards you. You refuse to believe that God wants to punish and give you a miserable life. 
This relentless faith that she had was one that was focused on the goodness of God. God is good. The master, he sees even the dogs. I'm still offended that he would call me a dog. But she got past that. She pushed it aside. She didn't get offended. And she stepped into a place where it says, even God, our master, is good to his dogs. And that's what got Jesus's attention to the point where he says, wow, you get it. You understand the master. Let it be done for you as you have desired. What great faith you have. I don't know about you, but I just, I want to see more doors open, not because I'm slamming my, my, my fist on them as hard as I can and not because I'm getting mad at God and not because I'm, I feel entitled to something that I'm not getting, but because I believe something about God that's true, that He's good. He wants to give you the goodness that's in His hand. If you would stand with me this morning. I invite the worship team to go ahead and come on up. We're going to receive communion and we're going to worship before we're dismissed today. And if you need some elements, if you'll just raise your hand, we have some ushers that'll come bring some by to you. Just make them, everybody got one. Great. Just one over here, Corey. <clears throat> and here's what I want you to meditate on today as we, as we receive communion and we worship the Lord. I'm going to ask you to just close your eyes. I want you to ask yourself this question. This is an introspective question. This is a question just for you. You ask this in the, in the quietness of your heart before the Lord. Just examine your, what's going on in your life right now and ask yourself this question. Where is it that you're ready to throw in the towel? Where is it that you're ready to quit? You will reap a harvest. The door will be open to you if you do not cease in doing good and you don't give up. I just want to pray this prayer. As you, if you have that thing that you know that you're, you're frustrated with and you're just kind of in this moment of despair and you're ready to throw in the towel, that's what I want you to bring to God today. This woman that we read about today was bringing the healing of her daughter. Maybe yours is a physical healing. Maybe it's a relationship issue. Maybe it's your job. I don't know what it is, but wherever it is that you're ready to throw in the towel, bring that issue before the Lord today. And listen, whenever we receive these elements, Jesus gave us these, and the reason that his body was broken was so that you'd be healed, so that life would be restored to you, so that the goodness of God can be poured out in your life. He bled for your forgiveness, but the brokenness of his body, his cha- the chastisement that he took upon himself was for your healing. The provision has been made through the cross. And so as we come to the master, there's something that we have to shift our heart and begin to believe about the thing that you're ready to throw the, ta- your, the towel in on. That God wants to be good to you in that circumstance. And so Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would show your sons and your daughters today, your goodness. 
Give them a revelation of how you want to pour out your goodness on them in this area of their life. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.